sure enough, as the Jews hear about God's faithfulness and how God has been faithful to Nehemiah all along the way, they're inspired and they're convinced that God will be faithful. And they say, yes, we are going to rebuild the wall. No sooner than they start the work on the wall than all of these enemies come out of nowhere and they start opposing the work. They start threatening and, and heckling the, the workers, the Jewish workers. Well, that's where we are up until this point. Nehemiah chapter 3 is the only chapter in the entire book of Nehemiah that gives us kind of this expounded, expanded version of what happens when they rebuild the wall. In a sense, the whole book is about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. But it's this one chapter that we see the work actually take place. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this work of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And we're going to consider what this work has to do with us. Now, we're going to, as I said, use the zoom-in, zoom-out lens to, to study this. Because what I want to do is, first of all, we're going to look at this work of rebuilding the wall, and we're going to kind of imagine what would it be like if you and I were a part of this rebuilding process. Like, what would it actually be to experience this work that they were doing? Secondly, we're going to zoom out and consider, what's the big deal? Why is the wall important to Nehemiah and the Israelites? And, and finally, we're going to look at not just why is, the, why is the wall important to them, but why is the wall important to us? What does this have to do with us? So I'm going to leave you with four questions to challenge you as you leave uh, hearing this word. Now, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, kind, of a, kind of a qualification, there's a lot of names, locations, a lot of details in here. Um, I have trouble pronouncing them all, let alone explaining the significance of every single one in here. Uh, and in a sense, in this sermon today, I'm going to actually start with a little bit of a zoomed out picture. What we're not going to do is go through every single name and every single location that's mentioned and kind of talk about the significance of each place and each person, because honestly, I don't know. The, the Bible gives a lot of details about these things, so I could make some things up to kind of tell you some fun stories about what happens to Sheep Gate, what happens to Fish Gate, I assume that's to do with Sheep and Fish respectively, but I don't know any more than that. So rather than looking at all of the, the nitty-gritty details and all the names, what we're going to do is we're going to consider this work as a whole. This, this chapter is about a lot of detailed stuff, but at the end of the day, it's about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. So that's what we're going to do, and the hope is, that my prayer is that we go away changed. We go away impacted by studying this. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been a little while since I've done a lot of manual labor. When's the last time you did some manual labor? You really got your, got your hands dirty, rolled up your sleeves outside, working. Now, for the youth and beliefs, you guys are laughing. That's exactly what you did all week long. More power to you. This, this, hopefully, this will kind of connect with you in a way that might not connect with others. As we talk about this dirty work that the Jews were partaking in. Well, maybe you went on the youth mission trip and you can like that. Maybe uh, it's for you, manual labor, something you do every weekend, you know, kind of a task here or there, home repair. For some of you, it's a way of life. This is your job. You're, you know, work with your hands, you're a contractor, um, you're, you're doing, you're building houses. Whatever it is, let's imagine for a second, what would it be like to actually do this dirty work, this manual labor of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem? Now imagine, if you will, you are a Jew, and you are actually going out, and you are looking at this wall, and you are one of the hundreds of people gathered around to repair this wall. 
Well, the first thing you're going to notice, the first thing that's going to strike you is that there is rubble everywhere. I mean, this is a trash heap of, of dust, of stones, just everywhere. Because, remember, the whole point is that the law was destroyed by the Babylonians who came, and they just totally destroyed the law. So if you're going to do the repair work, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to clear out rubble. Because it is all over the place for miles and miles and miles around. So the first thing you're doing is you're a Jew doing this work, and you are clearing out rubble. Probably all day long, multiple days. Because this rubble was so expansive all around, and in order to actually start building, you've got to clear away all the junk and start the work. One time, I went on a mission trip uh, to Honduras. And my work in Honduras was to, me and, and my team, we were laying the foundation for a church that was going to be built. And I didn't really mean laying the foundation. We were the first team to arrive, and there was waves of teams that would come. Probably, you know, 50 teams would come, and, and each team had a wave, but we were the first wave. So all we were doing literally the entire week, all day long, was moving dirt. That was it. We were moving dirt from one place to the next. We had shovels in our hands. That was the entire mission trip. It was awesome in many ways, but I'll tell you, it was challenging because you don't have a sense of accomplishment. You know, like it's fun on a mission trip to have a before and after picture, right? You take a picture before, and you take a picture after, and it's this cool comparison. We just had dirt. Dirt before, dirt after. Well, if you were a Jew doing this work, that's what you saw. You saw rubble for weeks on end. Rubble, 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 rubble everywhere. And what you're doing probably is you're clearing away this rubble, and you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what are the things you can use? What are the things that have to be discarded? So you probably have this discard pile of junk that just kind of gets piled higher and higher and higher until finally someone comes and kind of carries that thing away. But you're also trying to look for the, the stones, the stones you can use, the stones that are actually worthwhile. So you're putting those in a separate pile. All right, let's uh, take a look at a picture I've got. Uh, there we go. All right, so this is an actual excavation site. This is the this is the, the Jewish wall. Some of the the remains that you see of, of the wall um, back in the back in the time of Nehemiah. So you see, take a, take a look at these at these stones. Now we're not talking about like pebbles, right? That you're clearing away. We're talking about massive stones that you're having to clear away, putting into a pile, knowing that once the rubble is finally clear, it's probably going to take weeks. Then your job is to take these stones and rebuild the wall. You're lifting stones. Someone's probably cutting stones and, and trying to get them to, to be the right shape. Someone's probably laying in order to kind of keep the stones in place, stacking them, lifting them higher and higher all day. I mean, this is, this is your job. You clear away rubble for weeks. Then once you clear away rubble, you're, you're lifting stones. So remember, this is a fortress, right? This is, this is a wall. The intent of this wall is to keep out enemies. So you're not just kind of like building a wall, yay high, and then moving on to the next phase. No, you're building massive walls, very high, very deep, deep enough, thick enough, to where at the end you can actually walk on the wall. Thick enough to where at some section of the wall, there's actually room inside the wall itself. This is a thick wall, big wall, and it's stretched for miles. Again, this is your job. If, you're a, if you are a Jew at this time and you accepted the challenge to rebuild the wall, this is what you're doing all day, every day. Later in Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes it clear that this is something that they would do very early in the morning. They'd get up, probably you have your breakfast. Then immediately you go out and start the work. Beginning of the day, 
before the sun is really even out. Then for hours you are working, your back's hurting, your, your arms are aching, the sweat pouring out. And that's before the sun even gets to the, the highest point of the day, right? By the time it's noon, by the time it's a break for lunch, you are exhausted. But then you take your break, you keep working, hotter, more tired throughout the entire day. And this is what you do for 52 days in a row. Now imagine, that's with us. If we decided to do something similar to this, and let's say there were three other churches, and we joined together, we said we're going to make a wall around the city in the equivalent of Jerusalem. This would take us 52 days. We would not be done until the end of August. If we work all day every day, forget vacations, forget free time, forget jobs, forget family. This is what you did. This was massive, massive work. Now, the way this work was, Nehemiah, as I said, he was a phenomenal leader. He was amazing. What he would do is, well, let's, let's actually read. What he would do is he would divvy up, the, uh, he would divvy up the, the work among multiple different people, multiple different groups. So I'm going to read it. We're going to kind of get an idea of what this looked like. So then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Let's go to this. There's two pictures beyond this. It's a colorful picture. It's all done. Uh, it's next one. All right. Do we have? Yeah, there we go. All right. So this is just a, a depiction of, of kind of the way this, the way this work was divvied up. You're going to notice the long line all the way around. That's the wall. The double lines that run perpendicular to the main wall, those are the gates. And then in between, you're going to notice, hopefully you can see, there's different colors. And those colors represent an approximation of different groups and how different groups would work on different sections of the wall. So the story wasn't that you had hundreds of people all coming to this one section, they would finish it, and then they would move on to the next section. No, Nehemiah delegated the task, and so at once, day one, the entire wall was surrounded by different groups of people, and they would begin the work. So if you were actually reading this passage, you're going to see on the left side, at the top, there's a gate called the Sheep Gate. I don't know if you can see that or not, but it's on the left. It's the, it's the topmost of the two double lines. That's where it starts. It's Eliashab and the high priest, and then it runs counterclockwise. Gives this description all the way around. Now, again, this is approximation, but we don't know exactly where all these things were. But this is how it took place. And, and Nehemiah, he, through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to not only just motivate, but organize these people around the wall. Some people were grouped by family. All right? So you, I believe in this passage, you can see the sons of Hassanah. These was a family group, and they built the fish gate. Well, in other places, not, 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 they wouldn't gather together by family, uh, but they would gather together by profession. It talks about perfumers and goldsmiths gathering by professions. You see the high priest gathering together, and they would do one section of the wall. Sometimes, like the Tokites, they were actually living in a different place. That, that was one city, and they would travel to Jerusalem, and this city would actually help rebuild the wall. So this is how this actually took place. Now, these are some details, right? It says this is the zoomed-in version, kind of the detail work of what it would look like to actually do this work and how this was organized. But let's take a step back now and zoom out and consider what's the big deal? Why this? What's the point? Well, kind of one obvious point is at the end of this process, the end of this 52-day work, this back-breaking labor, they actually had 
back to this slide right before that, thank you, Jeff. So this is just, again, just a rendering of what this wall would have looked like in Nehemiah's time. Now this is after 52 days of hard work where you're putting everything else aside, you're exhausted, later on we're going to actually learn that all the enemies that would come and try to attack them while they were working. 52 days of organized labor where everyone was doing their part. You had a wall. And remember what the wall represents. The wall represents protection. The wall represents God's faithfulness because these were, God, these were the people of God. These were God's chosen people who he had said, I will protect you, I will provide for you, I will make you flourish. But they weren't flourishing. Well, down the wall, they were sitting ducks. They were in the middle of enemies. They were hard-pressed. They were ashamed. They were not thriving. And then Nehemiah comes, and at the end of the 52 days, there is this wall now. And they are protected. And they are provided for. And we see the people of God able to thrive now as they were originally intended to thrive. I don't know if you ever uh, do any gardening, but my wife and I have done just enough gardening to know that uh, a lot of times if you, you know, plant some vegetables, especially, we like to plant vegetables, then um, mysteriously those vegetables will disappear uh, sometimes overnight. Or you'll, you'll come up and see, you know, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Carrots have been pulled up. Or, you know, tomatoes have gotten bites out of them. There are animals that come in the garden. We have bunny rabbits who love to come in our garden and eat uh, the fruit in the garden, right? Now, what do you do? Well, you provide some kind of protection for the garden. You maybe build a little fence around it. You put some, you know, mesh around it. Or you can do, kind of have a raised bed, which protects it from the rabbits and the other uh, animals that come. And once you provide the protection for the garden, now it can flourish. Now it's exciting to watch the garden come to full bloom because it's protected. It is able to, to really be rich, be vibrant, to be what it's intended to be. But you need the wall around it to protect it first. Well, that was the story of Jerusalem. They needed this wall around it to allow them to flower, to flourish, to be vibrant, to come alive. That's what they did. Well, that's what the wall meant to Nehemiah and to the Israelites. But what about us? What does this wall mean to us? Well, let's zoom out even farther, okay? Why did all this take place in the first place? What's, what's the point? Why did this rebuilding actually take place? Well, the short answer is this rebuilding took place because the Jews went into exile, the Babylonians came and captured them, and now they had to come back and rebuild them. But why did they go into exile? Well, in short, Israel went into exile because Israel rebelled against God, rebelled against their king. You see, uh, thousands of years later, or excuse me, earlier, God had, had taken the Israelites, about a thousand years earlier, God had taken the Israelites, led them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land, and he brought them there to experience the richness, the, the richness of being blessed by God, of, of living with God, of, of, being, uh, of being his loyal servants, his worshipers, by loving God. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a good land. That was God. In his graciousness, he brought them there. But instead of focusing on God as their king, they forgot God. They left God. A little bit of apathy, a little bit of stubbornness, and all of a sudden they had turned away from the way of God, and they had gone their own way. They wanted to be free of God and his rule. But the problem is it worked. They were free from God's rules, free from obedience to God. 
but they were also free from God's protection, from his love, from his blessing. Kind of like a little child who runs away from home, angry at his parents, angry at the fact that he has to follow these rules and, and obey these commands that parents have given him. So he runs away. But then he runs away and looks around and realizes, oh no, what have done? Because the world is dark and dangerous. People aren't looking out for me like my parents did. There is evil around. There is danger around. And I don't know what to do. That's the same people in exile. The Babylonians came and, and removed them. The Bible says that you and I are like Israel. Like Israel, we have turned away. Like Israel, instead of worshiping God, we've forgotten him. Instead of loving him, we've hated him and rebelled against him. Like the little child who's run away from home, all of a sudden we find ourselves very lonely, very scared, very miserable when we see how serious life is. All of a sudden we realize, oh, God, no, we need God. If left alone, we're without hope. But the Bible tells us that God loves his children so much that he did not wait for them to come back to him because they would never do that. But the Bible says that God loves his children so much that he chases after them. He goes after them to bring them back home. God goes on a rescue mission for us to bring us back into the land where we can be with him. This rescue mission is all about Christ. This is who Christ was. Like Nehemiah, Christ traveled a long way to be with his people. Traveled from heaven to be here on earth with us. Like Nehemiah, he put himself at great risk in order to intercede for his people. Like Nehemiah, he was a hero who rescued his people from sin, from misery, from death. Like Nehemiah, Christ brought us into new life. How did he do that? By a perfect life. The thing that you and I couldn't do, he did that for us. By a sacrificial death, the thing that you and I don't want to do. We don't want to have to pay for our sin, but someone must. Because that's what Christ did. The rescue mission is all about Christ. Like Israel, we were left helpless and vulnerable. But like Nehemiah, Jesus comes and he rescues us, brings us into new life. If you think about it, Jesus is kind of like a master builder, right? You know, Nehemiah came and he taught the people how to build this wall around Jerusalem. Well, Jesus is the master builder and you and I are the wall. We are his work. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are creations. We are God's creation, his work. We are his walls. If we're being symbolic here, looking at the story, we see that you and I are like the wall that Christ built. And we are a good work. We are a new creation. We are God's and he's chosen us to be this. But it's not just that. He doesn't stop there. God doesn't, Christ doesn't just build us as a wall and says, okay, see ya, I'm done, I'm moving on to the next one. You know what he does? He builds us as a wall and he, he says, come with me, come join me. We're going to build together. That's what Nehemiah did. He got there, he had this plan, he started the process, he did the work, but then he looked at the Israelites and said, here, come join me. Christ does the same thing with us. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. Jesus says, hey, come join me on this work. Come and join me in this mission of redemption that I'm doing. What's happening here? Let's step back again, zoom out. Here's what's happening. God is the master builder throughout all of history. From 
from beginning of creation to the end, he is doing visible. You and I, we get to be a small part of that. It's small part, but it's significant. God invites us in to join him in the labors. Think about Israel. Think about the, the individual Israelites. We can kind of imagine what it would be like. Well, think about them. You're an Israelite, and you're just holding these stones, right? This is your job all day, every day, 52 days. You're building this wall. You're lifting stones, putting them down. Lifting stones, putting them down. Lifting stones, putting them down. This is it, right? This is your work. Well, that's your work. But, but while it's a small thing, when you put it together with all the other work going on, there is a, there a wall is there. It's a small piece of a much larger story. It's a small piece of a much larger work. And this is where you and I are. You and I get to, not because we are great, but because God is great. He invites us to join him. We get to be a part of his great work where we are building something. So I've got some questions for you as we kind of close out this. There's some questions for you to consider. First of all, and forgive the cheesiness here, but Israelites, they had stones, right? They were working with stones. And these stones were heavy, they were burdensome, they were toilsome. Here's my question, what are your stones? Think about this. Israelites, they had this grand task, this grand thing they were a part of, but their small part of this greater story was just lifting stones. It's pretty mundane. It's pretty difficult, pretty frustrating sometimes. So what are the stones that God has given you to carry in your life right now? It could be a lot of things. Anything that you find yourself surrounded with, in a sense, could be the stones that God is asking you to carry. Maybe it's relationships that are challenging for you right now. Children, parents, co-workers, friends, bosses. These are difficult. These are circumstances you're having every single day. It's, it's rigorous lifting, right? Not fun. You're having to put up with it. And if you're actually doing the work that God's called you to do, it's a fight to love these people that, that sometimes really get on your nerves. Maybe it's your job itself. Feels like it's a grind every day going to work. You're not crazy about it, but you're doing it. Maybe these are the stones that God is asking you to carry. Maybe it's suffering in your life right now. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, something that you're going through. And these are like stones that every day you got, oh, here they are again. And you've got to carry them. What are your stones? If every single individual Israelite did not Become a part of this work where they were lifting stones and putting them up, this wall would never have been built. God doesn't need us, but He invites us in to this work where He is doing a good work. He is inviting you and I to be a part of it, lifting those stones, being faithful to the small, mundane task that you're a part of. So that's my first question. What are your stones? Here's the second question What is your perspective on these stones? What is your perspective on these stones? In Corinthians, we see this really uh, powerful um, picture of, of how every small thing we do is done to the glory of God. In, in Corinthians 10, Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Colossians says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, for he is the one you are serving. Guys, if we believe what Scripture says about all of the stones that we're carrying, all the small, mundane parts of our life, then they are loaded with significance. Because God is asking us to join Him by carrying these stones that are frustrating, that are difficult, that are tiresome, but they're significant. Because as we do it, 
we are worshiping God. As we do it, we are joining in in his kingdom that is being built. Think about the significance. Imagine you are a mother or father with small children. That is like carrying stones sometimes, right? It's challenging, difficult. It's routine. It's something you do every day. But imagine the significance of pouring in, of actually being faithful to the task that God's called you to. What you're going to do is you are planting seeds for these children to grow up, to raise up, to love the Lord, and to bless hundreds of others around them. This is a huge work. Imagine what it is like to be faithful to, to this task of childbearing despite how difficult it is. Imagine what it is like to represent Christ at your job despite how difficult the people are to work with. When they see your blessing, when they see the way that you are different, when they see the way that you stand out and you honor the Lord in your work, Imagine what it's like. The souls that could be changed could be saved in that. The ripple effect of these small acts of obedience in the mundane. It's awesome if you think about it. And every time you were faithful in the mundane, lifting these stones, carrying these stones, these small tasks that God has given you, what happens is this. You are changed as you are doing it. As you are being faithful to God, the Spirit is changing you, making you more like Christ. As you are doing it, not only are you changed, but he is looking at his child, at his son or his daughter, and he is overjoyed at your faithfulness in these small tasks that are hard to do, hard to be faithful. Not only that, but as I said, people are impacted, lives are changed, and there is truly the ripple effect. As you are faithful in the small things, lives are changed forever. And one day in heaven, you'll be able to look back and see the impact that you had by being faithful in the small things, carrying the stones. So what's, what are your stones? What's your perspective? But, but thirdly, I would ask, what is your level of devotion to this task of carrying stones? Israel, as we looked at, they had a hard task ahead of them. And they had to be devoted if it was going to be done. 52 days for rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem is nothing short of a miracle. It is amazing that this happened. And they did it because their heart was in it. They were devoted to it. They had counted the cost and they knew that they had to do this work. It was in their heart and every fiber of their being, they threw in Thomas invited me to run the Spartan race with him. And it was an awesome thing. I'm glad I did it. 
I'm glad it's over. I was not prepared this morning. That result is difficult. I was just this close to puking most of the race because I was not prepared to race. I had nothing to work. I was not prepared because race was tough. Spiritually, how prepared are you for this, this task, this work that God's calling us to? How prepared are you for the race? How do you prepare? You prepare by spending time with the Father, spending time with God, reading His Word, taking it in on a regular basis, not once a month, not once a year, daily, constantly, taking in His Word, meditating on it, reading it, learning from it, being changed by it. You prepare yourself by praying, by spending time pouring your heart out to God. And as you do that, you find that you are strengthened. Just like training strengthens you physically, communion with God strengthens you spiritually. Finally, last question, last challenging question I'd encourage you to think about is, is what's the level of unity that you have in your life? What, in what degree are you being helped by, by the church, by the body of Christ? This is a hard task, and if one single Israelite decided, hey, this is my job, I'm going to rebuild this wall single-handedly, it was a task to the failure. It was not going to happen. What happened was they joined together. They came together from various parts, from various different places, various different age groups, various different experiences, cultures. They came together, and they rebuilt this wall. The Bible states clearly that we are given a body of Christ, a church, a community, where we are called to live together, live together well. Hebrews 10 challenged us to, to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, but encouraging one another daily. This is our task, joining together with other believers, doing a good work as we're following Christ. So here's my question to you. Who, specifically who, that's just an abstract question, but who, can, you, can you name someone who is regularly encouraging you spiritually, regularly challenging you, regularly? He knows what's going on. She knows the, the sins that you struggle with. She, he knows what, what, what your temptations are. They know what you're suffering with. They know what it's like to go to work and the challenges of your day-to-day -day life. They know your weaknesses. They know your family. And they're praying for you. And they're encouraging you. And they're asking tough questions to spur you on. Do you have someone like that? If not, I'll encourage you. Do the, do the tough work of taking the first step to go find someone. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Go find someone and ask them, hey, would you join me in this journey? Challenge me, encourage me. Let's meet regularly, even if it's a phone call, so we can encourage one another. Because this work is too much for me. Living a godly life at home is too much for me. Living a godly life on the job is too much for me. We're given the body of Christ. Let's use it. The story of Nehemiah reminds us that God is faithful. He is doing a good work. He is committed to this good work, and he will carry it on completion. And the biggest work that he has ever done, the pinnacle, the climax of God's good work, is Christ on the cross for us, saving us, making us new creations. And as he rebuilds us, as he rebuilds us as a wall, he invites us to join him, laboring with him. To do that, we need perspective, recognizing that the small things are loaded with significance. We need devotion, not just half-heartedly doing things, but wholeheartedly devoted as unto the Lord. Finally, we need help. We need the body of Christ to join us in this good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful passage reminding us that you are doing a wonderful work in our lives. You are faithful. You are powerful. You are doing something awesome. 
Lord, I pray that we would go away challenged to consider more carefully what are the things that you give us, the stones that we are carrying. How can we be faithful to carry those stones unto the Lord? Father, I pray that you would give us a new perspective. Help us to see things as you see things. Help us to see our circumstances, not as inconveniences or accidents, but, but circumstances that you have put in our lives for a purpose. And help us to be faithful to the task. Give us devotion. Give us passion. And give us help. I pray that we would help one another, carry one another's burdens as the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you that you would match your goodness in your work.